Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. Hey, we got a show coming up very soon. We'll be at the USC Comedy Festival on Sunday, November 4th at 4 o'clock. I know, very fancy. Uh, we're reading an excellent dead pilot called American Alien by Sierra Teller Ornelas. Uh, this show is free, so check uh, the episode page or our social media for a link to get tickets, or you can just Google the USC Comedy Festival, see the whole lineup, a lot of great stuff, having a big Frasier uh, cast and writers reunion, among other things. Uh, again, you just have to RSVP, but it's totally free. So last episode, uh, I told you all that I was out pitching a pilot. Uh, I did sell that pilot to ABC. Thanks for asking. Uh, So I'm now in the thick of the development process. And if there's anything we TV writers love, it's complaining about the development process. But I've been through it a lot. I'm trying to approach it with a level of maturity and calm. Uh, But it's hard Guys, I'm not going to lie, it's hard, uh, and I'm going to try and work through some of my feelings here uh, with your help, because I've already had one typically frustrating development moment. The first step of the process after you sell a pilot idea is the pilot story document. This is basically a one or two or three page synopsis of your pilot story. Uh, my co-writers and I had an A story, a main story that we really loved and that the studio did not love. And you know, while they made it known that they'd support us, whatever we chose to do, uh, they were very strongly suggesting that we come up with a different story. So trying to sort through my feelings about this on the most visceral level and I don't know any writer who wouldn't feel this way I feel you know this is ridiculous it's a two-page synopsis I'm trying to get some momentum and feel excited about the project and you people are killing it well it's not even embryonic it's still like a zygote and you know I can't be a hundred percent sure that it's going to work but you guys can't be a hundred percent sure that it's not going to work so isn't the most important thing to let me feel some creative confidence and encouragement instead of making me second guess everything right from the get-go so that's one thing that I'm feeling. And yet, on the other hand, whatever we writers may feel sometimes, I do realize that the executives are not trying to torture us out of some kind of sadistic impulse. They really, really do want us to succeed. And here's the thing, you know, as a writer, maybe I had one pilot to die last season. And maybe, you know, if you're like me, like I've had many pilots Um, and you know, maybe, so maybe this year I'm thinking, okay, last year, you know, that one had too much plot. I need a simpler story this time, or that one was too low concept. I need a bigger hook for this one. That's human nature, right? We try to learn from our mistakes. We'll call them mistakes. Um, but now the executives saw so many more pilots not move forward last season and the season before they just see this happen with way more pilots than any individual writer could. So they have many more lessons that they've learned, and they're trying to give us writers the benefit of those lessons. They're basically trying to stop us from going into these potholes that they see clearly because they've driven the road way more times than we have. But 
The problem is, it's a totally different road every year. There are brand new potholes, and the potholes are in different places. So all of those lessons are kind of useless. Now, I know that sounds like I'm coming down on the side of just leave us writers alone and let us do what we want. But that is complicated by this fact, which is that after having that story thrown out, my co-writers and I have now come up with a new A story that I think is better than what we had before. So, like I said, it's, it's complicated to be continued. Um, our dead pilot this time is from Brian Gallivan. Brian is the creator of the McCarthys. He's written on Happy Endings, on Future Man, uh, on Splitting Up Together. His pilot's called Mr. Joyce's Opus, although, as you'll hear in his interview with my partner and co-host Ben Blacker, he only came up with that title for this reading. It went through the development process as Untitled Brian Gallivan Project. Our cast for this one was Mike Kaczynski from Impastor as Chuck Joyce, Kirby Howell-Baptiste from Killing Eve as Julia McGill, Lauren Lapkus from Orange is the New Black and Crashing as Gifted Sarah, Aparna Nanchala from Corporate as Crystal, Ginger Gonzaga from Glow as Leslie. How crazy good is this cast? Mamie Gummer from The Good Wife and the upcoming season of True Detective as Adriana. Janina Gavankar from True Blood as Felicia. Elizabeth Ho from Disjointed as Vanessa. Sam Richardson from Veep and Detroiters as Mr. Meadows. Gary Anthony Williams from every animated show, including Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, as Principal Flood. Killer cast. Um, so here's Ben Blacker's live interview with Brian from the stage at Dynasty Typewriter, followed by the read. But stay tuned after the read for a longer talk that I had with Brian about writing the pilot, about how he got into the business of writing, writing in general. He has a great strategy for staying sane while getting notes. Uh, stick around for that. It's uh, I think it was a really fun conversation. Here is Mr. Joyce's opus. After a brief message. All right. Story is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And together we're the hosts of Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. What does that mean for you, the podcast consumer? Well, it means that you're going to get a lot of stories about how we used to do weird stuff to people in order to try to fix them. Do you know that we used to think diseases were caused by bad smells? And that we used to eat mummies for medicine? That's super funny. I kind of like Well, thanks. And we hope you'll kind of like our show, Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. It's available every Friday wherever fine podcasts are sold or at its beautiful, picturesque home at MaximumFun.org. Thank you so much. Uh, the name of your pilot is Mr. Joyce's Opus. Yes. Which you named when we said we would do this. Right. It was the <laughs> Untitled Brian Gallivan Project. Uh, tell us a little bit about this pilot. When was it written? For whom was it written? Uh, it was t three years ago uh, with Sony for NBC. Yeah. And um, it, uh, is I used to be a middle school teacher for five years, many years ago. Uh, the first couple years at a Catholic school in Boston, and it was mostly girls, and they were wild. And um, 
live in life. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, some of I taught eighth grade, and some of them had like birth control pills in their pencil cases. God. Nice mixture of old and new. Sure. And, um, <laughs> nice mashup. Uh, and y- years later, I regretted like why did I care so much about the curriculum? So the, uh, I should have been like, Michelle, are you okay? <laughs> um, so I uh, wanted to write a show where a teacher tries that, like giving up on the curriculum. Yes. Why, I mean, you did this, you've, you've been in television for quite some time, uh, but it wasn't until a couple of years ago that you wrote this pilot and mined this autobiography. Why not until now? Um, I, I don't know. I think, um, it, I have no idea. <laughs> All right, I want you to think uh, about that. And we're gonna have you back. Okay. <laughs> All right, yeah. uh, let's talk about the development process. Sure. Uh, how was the writing of the draft? Did it seem natural? How was your t- collaboration with Sony and NBC? Uh, it was pretty fun, and um, the Broad City Gals came on board as supervising producers, uh, and they were great. Um, I could have fostered them as children. I'm a little <laughs> older, but uh, they were great supervisors and gave really helpful notes, and they're really smart and funny. Um, and I was working on another pilot at the same time, and this was like the one that felt very close to me and very personal, which is why I couldn't do it before, and that's why I did it later. I'm feeling so guilty about not having an answer for that earlier question. You went to Catholic school also, didn't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It it hasn't damaged me one bit. Um, And Uh, and just being a gay teacher at a Catholic school, uh, not all the networks were buying that uh, right away. So, yeah. That's interesting. Do you think this could have flown as a cable show? I mean, it doesn't seem particularly yes, to risque. The, to the heavens. Um, I, I had written an, an earlier version of it when I first moved here, and the gay teacher was like sleeping with dads of the students, <laughs> and so this is a different version. Um, <laughs> the network version. Yes, yeah. The uh, NBC and, version. Yes, and then what happened? Uh, with this project. Yeah. Um, How did they break beca- it to you? <laughs> uh, it was one of those where the other one that I'm working on, thankfully, I got to make a pilot, and I'd be like, how's that other one? And they're like, eh, just be happy for the, you know, like, <laughs> don't, don't be greedy. Um, but it, it's one that was very personal, so this was very exciting to get this uh, email, like, we want to do this. Well, so we really excited. like it. We have an amazing cast to do it. Yes. Thank you so much, Brian. Please Thank you. give a hand Thank to you. Brian Gallivan. Okay, this is Mr. Joyce's Opus, written by Brian Gallivan. It's the cold open. We fade in. We're interior. Diner, diner, diner. Early morning. Chuck Joyce and Julia McGill grade papers and eat breakfast at a diner in a gritty neighborhood in Boston. As Chuck writes comments on an essay, we hear the comments in voiceover. Vanessa, the assignment was to write an essay on Jane Eyre, but this appears to be an angry email to your boyfriend, Tito. After reading the email, I've decided to give you partial credit, because Jane Eyre also dated a bad boy. (laughs) And because your opening sentence, Tito, you're an asshole, is a very strong thesis statement. Chuck sees Julia frowning at a very quirky guy in the diner. I would rather make out with that guy than grade these papers. (sighs) Wait, I think I did make out with that guy. Weird kisser, a lot of stillness. The guy gives Chuck an awkward wave. Chuck waves back. But then he dumped me and said I was going to die alone. 
What? Well, then why are you waving? Oh, yeah, why am I waving? He doesn't get a wave. You don't get a wave! You don't get a wave! The guy looks weirded out and leaves. Denying a wave is fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it, too. That guy said I was always, always seemed ready to bolt. Now that I think of it, my building manager said pretty much the same thing when he broke up with me. At least, I think he broke up with me. I couldn't hear what he said, so I just made a joke and left. <laughs> Do you think I will die alone? No way. You just haven't right the Met guy. Okay, you've said that sentence to me so many times that you're starting to just put the words wherever you want. <laughs> he holds up the essay. So, I learned more about Vanessa from this email than I have in two years of teaching her. Honestly, I'd rather talk to these girls about their real lives than Jane Eyre, who, let's be honest, is kind of a dud. Don't you dare. What, make fun of Jane Eyre? I know. When I said it, when I said dud, I was like, hello, judgy. But I'm torn because hello, judgy is also what I'd say to Jane Eyre if I ever met her. <laughs> She's pretty judgy. No. Don't you dare try to connect with these girls. I would never. And why not? Say it with me. Because, because they're, they're horrible, horrible monsters. monsters. Yes. You say it, but every now and then, I see you try to connect with them, Chuck. You share 10% of yourself with these girls. That is too much. As a teacher, how much of yourself should you share? 5%? No, 0%, Chuck. Show them nothing or they will pounce. Remember my first year when I showed them my love of Harriet Tubman? And we flash back to Julia's classroom four years ago. She's dressed as Harriet Tubman. <laughs> Today, I am not Mrs. McGill, your history teacher. I am Harriet Tubman, freer of slaves. And little known fact, a narcoleptic. She pretends to fall asleep and pretends to snore. She wakes up and discovered that she discovers that she's the only one in the classroom. Where did you all go? How did they leave so quietly? Am I tied to my chair? And we come out of the flashback back to the diner. Some of them never came back. Thank God. Look, Chuck, why are you acting all optimistic and hopeful? You're a teacher. It's inappropriate. Chuck looks guilty and avoids eye contact. She's on to him. What did you watch last night? Nothing, definitely not. Any movies you've told me I'm not allowed to watch, like Mr. Holland's Opus and then Sister Act Two right after. I'm sorry, I'm back in the habit. I love a teacher movie. Chuck, no. What do I say about teacher movies? They hurt society more than pornography. <laughs> Which cannot be true. No, they are unrealistic. Teachers in those movies can connect with students because they don't have to actually teach a curriculum. But wouldn't it be great if teaching was like that? I I'm serious. I'd love to throw out our boring curriculum and be a whoopee who helps Lauren Hill chase her musical dreams. Or, or a Richard Dreyfus who teaches rhythm to a young Terrence Howard. Richard Dreyfus teaches rhythm to Terrence Howard. <laughs> These movies are insane. And they're giving you the insane idea that you can connect with students. Chuck, 
Whatever you show these girls, whenever you show them 10% of yourself, these, it never goes well, okay? They mock you, and then you can't get them to do their work. Then you go into a rage. I've, I've heard it. And we flash back to Chuck's classroom last year. A very red-faced Chuck yells at his students. I am not a yeller. I am not this person. You make me this way. In real life, I am a blast. And we come out of flashback back to the diner. That wasn't rage. I was acting out a scene from Death of a Salesman. The one where he says he's a blast. Two girls in Catholic school uniforms walk by the window of the diner. One of them is Leslie, a loud 16-year-old. The other is Crystal, an annoying 16-year-old who does whatever Leslie does. Do not try to connect, Chuck. Zero percent. Chuck, ready to prove her wrong, yells through the window. Morning, ladies. <laughs> Who eats eggs? <laughs> yeah, poor. And, and now comes the rage. No, it doesn't. Girls, I think I... Seriously! Who eats eggs? Who in the hell eats eggs? <laughs> People eat eggs. People eat eggs, Leslie. The girls laugh and run away. The diners all look at Chuck. Nicely done. I think I made some really good points about how people eat eggs. Chuck and Julia keep talking as they leave the diner. Why were you even watching those movies? Weren't you supposed to go on a date with that professor guy? I canceled. What? How often does TBS show a teacher double feature? Plus, that professor is so nosy. All these questions, where are you from, what do you do, it's invasive. I'm sorry, but Diner Guy is right. You are always ready to bolt, and you never give guys time to get to know the real you. But I have to bolt, or they'll get to know the real me. Hey, I know every bad thing about you, and I still like you a ton. You gotta let these guys get to know the real you. Give them 100%, and give the students 0%. I give 0% to the girls, which means I have 100% to give it to Gary at night. And at night, we do some very fun things. You play Boggle. Every damn night. At 100%. But am I supposed to give 0% to the nice kids too? L like Gifted Sarah. Gifted Sarah, a stoic 16-year-old, walks by reading a book. She and I both love literature, and she's desperate to connect. Miracle worker, huh, Sarah? We are going to discuss the hell out of that. Every time we speak in public, I'm ostracized a little bit more. <laughs> Sarah, 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 is that a book on how to be best friends with your English teacher? <laughs> Leslie and Crystal laugh. Chuck snaps again. People talk to their teachers, Leslie, and people eat eggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at yourself. Look at what these movies have done to you. You're on a busy street, loudly defending egg eating. You're, you're right. It's a fantasy. Connecting never works. Those teacher movies are worse than porn. See? They're a waste of amazing musical numbers. Never watch them again. No, wait. One time connecting worked. Last year when I watched Sister Act 2, remember at the end of the year assembly, I had some girls sing, I Believe I Can Fly. Yeah. Remember when I made you Google R. Kelly, teenage girls? I do. They, they both shudder. But I think that monster's lyrics really inspired them. That song set those girls on the right path. Their student, Felicia, a 16-year-old with a Debbie Downer personality, walks by them. 
She is very pregnant. Hey. They, will, they watch Felicia waddle away. Chuck's whole body slumps. I don't believe she will fly. She had a solo. Okay, students get 0%. And the guys you date? 20%. Chuck, at 20%, you're never going to write the meat guy. As Chuck points out her error, and she insists she said it right, no, they're crossing a busy street in front of the school and don't see a car speeding at them. The driver slams on the brakes and stops inches from Chuck and Julia, who let out huge screams. Ah! Everyone's silent except for Chuck and Julia, who scream long after the car stops. When they finally stop screaming, Chuck and Julia stare at each other very shaken. I hate Boggle! I want to play Clue! I'm going to go 100%. She stares at him so excited as they rush to the sidewalk. Yes, 100%. That's what a near-death experience is good for. The truth comes out. Sometimes poop too, but I think I'm good. No, I'm, gonna, I'm going 100% with the girls. I'm going to teach like I'm in a teacher movie. Okay. There's the poop. And we fade out of the cold open. Act one, we fade in. We're exterior outside the front doors of the school later. Chuck and Julia walk up the front stairs. Chuck, this is crazy. It won't work. You'll rage out. Just stick to the curriculum. You thought showing the girls a little bit of myself was a problem. I think the problem was that I didn't show them enough of myself. But now I'm coming at this in a brand new way. And you might just see the curriculum crying under the bleachers because I just dumped that bitch. Hey. We do not personify the curriculum. <laughs> Principal Flood, jaded and falling apart, is at the front door of the school. Morning, Principal Flood. Uh-huh. Welcome to another Monday. Don't you just want to kill yourself? <laughs> but you can't, because you have a job to do, and it's a mortal sin. You're more cheerful than usual. It's a facade. <laughs> Did I hear you mention the curriculum, Chuck? I hope so. It's the most useful teaching tool, along with apathy. Yeah, we love the curriculum, don't we, Chuck? Um, yes, I definitely have a plan for today that I am ready to follow. Uh, and we're interior Chuck's classroom later. Chuck is showing the girls part of the 1962 movie adaptation of William Gibson's The Miracle Worker. Uh -huh. Adriana, a very innocent 16-year-old, looks confused. You never let us watch movies. Well, that is Annie Sullivan. She's trying to get Helen Keller to eat eggs with a spoon. With eggs! The man is obsessed with eggs. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Egg obsessed. The man is. Oh, sorry, Sarah. Are, are you trying to enjoy the cinema? <laughs> Sarah didn't even say anything. Yeah, she did. Please don't defend me. <laughs> <laughs> Best friends! <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the best friends in all of America. Yeah. Just watch the fun movie. <laughs> On screen, Helen spits eggs into Annie's face. Annie throws a pitcher of water into Helen's face. They wrestle hard. Chuck pauses the movie on a particularly violent image. This is what teaching feels like. <laughs> but Annie tried many different ways of teaching Helen, and I've decided to try a new way of teaching you. We're just gonna talk about your lives. No grammar, no literature, no essays. Just talk. The girls all look at him. No way. Mm -hmm. This is a damn trick. 
Vanessa, 16, smart and passionate, speaks up. What Tito and I have is private. My life? You don't want to hear it. Sarah, Sarah, want to talk about your life? Let's just watch the movie. Shut up, Sarah! Shut it, Sarah! <sighs> Chuck uh, starts to defend Sarah, but doesn't. She's grateful. Mr. Joyce, uh, we would never talk to you about your sad life with us, so why would we ever do that with our lives to you? <laughs> okay, look, I really want to talk honestly about your lives, but if it helps you to trust me, we can start with my life. So go ahead. Ask me anything you want. I will answer honestly. <laughs> anything? <laughs> anything. The girls look way too excited. Chuck looks determined. We're in the cafeteria later. Julia has lunch duty, and she can't believe what she hears the girls talking about. Why was he even sleeping with his building manager? I'm telling you, these days, you gotta sleep with your building manager. I don't think Ramon's the right guy for Mr. Joyce, though. He needs to find his Tito. I didn't even know he was gay. I've had a crush on him for the last two years. Adriana, you can do better than a 44-year-old egg-eating teacher. Can I? Who knows? Everything seems so upside down right now. From Julia's expression, it's clear that she feels the same way. We angle on across the cafeteria. Chuck stands and talks to gifted Sarah, who sits at a table by herself reading a book. You know, you could just go over and sit with the other girls. What's the worst that could happen? You know, you could just ask your building manager if he actually broke up with you or not. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, you got so much more space down here. Why move? <laughs> just then a rattled Julia comes over to Chuck. I knew you were trying something new today. What happened? Did they tie you up and steal your diary? Or are they witches, like I formally accused them of being last year? It's okay. They know all that stuff because from now on, I have a total honesty policy with these girls. What in Jesus' bid are you talking about? I'm giving 100%. Julia, I want to help these girls. And I had to talk about my life, so eventually they'll talk about theirs. And... It was a great class. This new way of teaching is amazing. Only good can come from it. Principal Flood enters with Mr. Meadows. Handsome, stern, a little intimidating. Mr. Uh, Joyce, this man's niece is in your class, and he claims you spent an entire period ignoring the curriculum and comparing your dating life to the challenges of being a blind, deaf mute. Chuck looks less confident about his plan. Julia nods as if to say, hello, catastrophe, we've been expecting you. And we fade out of act one. Act two, we're in Principal Flood's office moments later. Chuck sits across from Principal Flood and Mr. Meadows. My niece Sarah is gifted, and it's nearly impossible to challenge her academically. But she shouldn't be given the impossible task of figuring out your sad dating life. These are young, innocent girls. They're not ready for sordid tales of man-on-building manager sex. Sordid is not far off the mark. Uh, but the lesson was connected to the miracle worker because I, like Annie Sullivan, am trying to reach these girls using any method possible. I'm tired of seeing students drop out or get pregnant. I want to have some real conversations uh, with them. Uh, I assure you, Mr. Meadows, this was a one-time thing and it will not happen again. Thank you, Principal Flood. Mr. Meadows leaves. Uh, look, Chuck, I heard about the close call with the car today. <laughs> that would have been some sweet release, huh? <laughs> what, what would have, dying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. 
Here's hoping you'll catch the next one. But as disappointed as you are that that car didn't hit you, that is not don't let it throw you. Stick to the curriculum. Avoid anything creative. And if you do that, when I retire, I think you have a good shot at becoming principal of this school, of becoming the new me. Fuck you. Principal Flood stares at him. Oh, I get it. It's a terrifying honor. Fuck Could you. <laughs> you keep saying thank you, and it keeps coming out. Fuck you. <laughs> As he laughs, Chuck leaves looking determined. We're in Chuck's classroom the next day. He stands before the girls. Today, I want to be even more honest. I want to talk about sex and dating because I don't want any more of you getting pregnant while you're in high school. <laughs> Mr. Joyce, Mr. Joyce, Mr. Joyce. Uh, why would we take advice on our love lives from you? Your dating life is a mess. A damn mess. Although that is a chilling accurate, chill, chillingly accurate description, yesterday was too much about me. I think we should move on to your lives now. Gifted Sarah raises her hand and starts speaking without being prompted, which she never does. What if you let us work on ideas for your love life? And once it's in order, you can start giving us advice on our relationships. Shut it, Sarah! Shut it! Gah! Uh, wait, what did she say? She said we should try to fix his love life, which is definitely just with men, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> You know, that isn't a terrible idea, Sarah. I'll allow it. So, are you in? Chuck looks torn. We're in the cafeteria later. Julia stands with Chuck near gifted Sarah's table. Chuck, why are you giving so much power to such wild girls? Girls who shun the best among them. I prefer not to be used as an example of shunning. Mm. I'd prefer that Mr. Joyce not say... Uh, I'd prefer that Mr. Joyce not say, please choose my life partner to people who were born after 9-11. Oh, your math is off by a year. Gifted Sarah, I will shun you. This was Sarah's idea. Sarah spoke in class voluntarily for the first time since March. I want to let her see if this idea... I want, I want to let her see this idea through. She'll choose well. And we're in Chuck's classroom the next day. Chuck does not look happy as he stands in front of the girls. I'm not dating him. Sarah holds up her phone, which has a picture of Mr. Meadows. Rude, that's my uncle. Is he even gay? Yes. Wow, really? I mean, oh. Oh, he likes him, he likes him. He's obsessed with him. So obsessed, so obsessed. I guess it's a match. <laughs> he thinks I'm a terrible teacher. He doesn't want to go out with me. He said he would go out with you. Chuck's still not convinced. Please, my life is suddenly shot way past dating. I need to live vicariously through you. Fine. The girls go nuts. <laughs> nice use of vicariously. <laughs> oh, wow, thanks. I needed a win. And we are outside the front doors of the school after school. Chuck is on his phone as he's leaving school. Hello, Mr. Meadows? It's Mr. Joyce, gifted Sarah's teacher. Chuck's face says, why the hell did I just say gifted Sarah? <laughs> We're in Mr. Meadows' office continuous. He sits at his desk. You call her gifted Sarah? What do you call the dumb ones? <laughs> well, we used to call them things like dumb Abby and idiot Pam. But then we went PC, so now it's not gifted Abby and less smart Pam. <laughs> Progress. I'm impressed. So I was thinking, what if we just tell the girls we went on this date? 
and then not go on the date? Yeah. So we just say we went on a date? Yes. And did we have a good time? Uh, I, I think it was fine. Well, I think it was amazing. Really? Yep. And I think it's your loss. He hangs up. So you'll tell them. Hello? Okay, you're gone. Chuck hangs up. He turns and sees Julia standing there. Ah, cool. Julia shakes her head. It's clear she heard the whole thing. Well, congrats on your new total honesty policy. It'll be fine. And we're in Chuck's classroom the next day. He walks into class and sees liar written on the board in huge letters. All of the girls have their arms crossed and look pissed. Chuck looks scared. We fade out. End of act two. We're in act three. We fade in the school church. The angry girls all sit in pews while they wait their turn to go to confession. They keep turning around and shaking their heads at Chuck, who sits with Julia a few rows behind them. Stop looking at me. Turn around. You turn around. Turn your life around. Gifted Sarah comes out of the confessional. Okay, Leslie, get in there. You're next. You're next at lying. What else did you lie about? Being gay? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid Mr. Meadows ruined everything. I was really making progress with these girls. Is it really making progress when your total honesty policy lasted 48 hours? Okay, you know, you keep making these snarky remarks, but I think you're jealous, Julia. I think you want to try. I think you miss doing creative things like narcoleptic Harriet Tubman. I think I saw a Dead Poet Society DVD on your bookshelf. Lies! Lies! I think you want to do what I'm doing, but you're not brave enough. Maybe you're right, Chuck. And I should definitely take bravery lessons from you, the guy who's too afraid to go on one date with the handsome, kind man who's raising his orphan niece. This lands with Chuck. He and Julia sit in awkward silence. Leslie, wrap it up in there, okay? No one has that many sins. You don't know me. <laughs> and we're in Chuck's classroom the next day. He's in front of the class. The girls still look angry. I'm very sorry I lied to you, and I hope today's class makes up for it. I really want to be honest with you, and I want to go on that date you suggested. In front of you. And we reveal that Mr. Meadows is in the class, too, <laughs> sitting at one of the desks. He does not look happy to be there. I also want to show you how bad I am at this to help you learn from my mistakes. And when I told Mr. Meadows that I wanted to, he said, I don't want to do that. But then I asked Sarah to help, and she said to her uncle, But my mom died, and I'm sad, and you have to do it. <laughs> she, she died 10 years ago. Good job, Sarah. We will cover the ramifications of emotional blackmail in a future lesson. There is another desk pushed face to face with the desk where Mr. Meadows is sitting, and Chuck takes a seat there. Should we start with small talk? Sure. Why did you initially refuse to go on a date with me? Um, I'd like to request even smaller talk. <laughs> Answer the question. Chuck turns to Leslie. Permission, permission to treat the date as hostile? I'll allow it. After initially complaining about my teaching, why did you want to go on a date with me? Because I liked what you said in the principal's office about trying to reach these girls. Oh, really? Yeah. But then I discovered you're a liar. Who thinks he's too good for me? The girls all clap. Okay. Mm -hmm. Girls, mm -hmm. we're not clapping for statements we like. This isn't a 90s talk show. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh, we're still clapping. We just didn't think your statement was clapworthy. Mr. Meadows, look, I'm sorry. I'm scared of dating because I like people to think I'm perfect. You do? Really? Yes, really. And when you date people, they find out you're not perfect and you find out they're not perfect. No one's perfect. Everyone's got some good and some bad. You gotta try to embrace the imperfections. The girls clap. Chuck rolls his eyes at the clapping. <laughs> You've taken a very complex idea and made it sound very simple. You're welcome. <laughs> well, okay, I guess I could try to embrace my imperfections. Why not? You've got a ton of them. <laughs> Mr. Meadows, if you like a mix of good and bad, Mr. Joyce is the guy for you. Really? Yeah, like, he'll have rage attacks sometimes, but other times he'll wear a sweater that isn't terrible. <laughs> Thank you, Crystal, for making me sound so balanced. But Chuck really is surprised and touched that the girls seem ready to forgive him. And Mr. Joyce can be really funny, and then other times he'll be really cute. Those are both good things. You gotta move on, Adrian. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying. Well, she's right, though. He is cute. Chuck tries not to blush, but fails. Mr. Meadows laughs. The girls notice the chemistry, but they're mature about it. <laughs> Stop it. Chuck rolls his eyes and blushes some more. We're in the cafeteria the next day. Chuck walks over to Sarah's lunch table, but she's not there. He turns and is shocked to see Sarah sitting at the other girl's table. He smiles a big smile and walks over. Please play it cool. <laughs> Why the change in table, Sarah? Doesn't she always sit here? No, she just walked over here today and sat down like a box. How wonderful. Please play it cooler. Well, I just wanted to tell you all that I'm so glad I went on that date. And now that my love life is on track, I'm excited for you girls to start talking about your lives. Your love life is not on track yet. What? Mr. Meadows doesn't want to go on another date. Chuck looks shocked. We're in his classroom moments later. He sits in a circle with the girls. Mr. Meadows told Sarah confidentially that you might not be ready for serious dating. He said you might need some time to work on yourself. And then Sarah broke that confidentiality and she told all of us. Well, well thank you for being so nice about it. And I'm disappointed, but I'm worried we'll never get to your issues if we keep focusing on mine. So let's move on. Not yet. They all pull out their notebooks. What? We wrote stuff to cheer you up. Really? Yep, I'm going first. Top 10 reasons you should be happy you're not dating my uncle. Number 10, he makes horrible chili. Number nine, he calls Destiny's child Destiny's children. <laughs> Number eight, he makes horrible chili farts. Everyone but Leslie laughs. You're better than that, Sarah. Crystal and I have got fart jokes covered. Aim higher, Sarah, okay? Aim higher. And we dissolve to Felicia reading her piece. Mr. Joyce, sorry about the heartbreak. On the bright side, at least you're not a teen mom in your second trimester. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be funny. Everyone laughs harder. Felicia shrugs and smiles. We dissolve to Adriana reading her piece. Sometimes things don't work out. And it hurts. She can't stop crying. Leslie guides her back to her seat. Okay, so it's just Mr. Joyce, Adriana. Okay, it's just Mr. I Joyce. didn't say it made yes. sense. <laughs> Thank you, Adriana. Uh, these are wonderful. When did you all write them? 
Well, in Miss McGillis' class, when she heard what was going on, she gave us all time to do this. Really? That was very nice of her. Time for mine and Leslie's, which has to do with the miracle worker. You two read The Miracle Worker? <laughs> no way. But we reenacted a scene from the movie, the one with the eggs, because you love eggs so much. Yeah. <laughs> with the eggs. As Crystal sets up her video, Julia enters and stands in the doorway watching. Chuck gives her a smile. She smiles back. When Crystal hits play, we see Crystal and Leslie doing a perfect reenactment of the fight between Annie Sullivan and Helen Keller. It's amazing, and everyone applauds. You all boosted my confidence so much that... I'm going to do something I hope you will do throughout your lives. I'm going to fight for what I want. I'm going to call Mr. Meadows and woo him. The girls go nuts. Julia looks very surprised. Chuck dials. I'm doing speakerphone, so be cool. Hello? Hi, Mr. Meadows. It's Mr. Joyce. Uh, Chuck Joyce. Uh, calling with a couple of questions. Number one, what is your first name? Uh, I keep calling you Mr. Meadows, but... That seems too formal for a guy I want to take on a second date. Oh, no, don't try to be smooth. He can't help it. He just is. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Is this a teachable moment? Always. Look, Chuck, I don't... Wait. I, I know I have a lot of work to do on myself, but I'd really like to get to know you better. The girls all tense up, waiting for Mr. Meadows to respond. It's just that... You know what? Why not? My first name's Marcus. Let's do this. The girls whoop and holler. Julia gives Chuck a big smile. Let's talk one-on-one -on -one soon. That sounds terrifying, but sure. Chuck hangs up. Principal Flood enters. Uh, how's everything going? Are we sticking to the curriculum? Yes. I'm definitely sticking to this curriculum. Mm. He's sticking to this curriculum hard, sir. Like a lunatic would. Chuck looks pleased. Julia shakes her head at Chuck. Good, 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 good. Remember, structure and discipline are our friends. Friends who will never die suddenly from heart disease <laughs> or alcoholism. He smiles <laughs> and leaves. <laughs> Julia makes a what the fuck face. Okay, my turn. Mr. Joyce, I like Jane Eyre a lot. You read Jane Eyre? Yeah, I wanted to see how she dealt with her bad boy. I don't think I'll blind Tito in a fire, but I did pick up a few things. Chuck beams as Vanessa keeps reading. <clears throat> Talking about real life in class makes me look forward to coming to school. I am changing lives. <laughs> and I can't wait to discuss stuff from my own life. For instance, I'm planning on losing my virginity next month, and I need some tips. Chuck's face freezes. Julia raises an eyebrow. Ah, virginity. Boring! I want to ask about how some man-on-man -man sex works. Like, what even is this? <laughs> I, had the, I had the same question about losing my virginity, but I need the tips before this weekend. Chuck looks to Julia for help, and she nods. Okay, ladies, settle, okay? He can't delve into this, all of this immediately. So he'll start with man-on-man -man sex. Yeah. Then we'll go from there. As Julia seats herself and she and the girls all look to a terrified Chuck, we fade out. End of show. <laughs> the secret is out. I, Open Mike Eagle, officially had a wrestling match. And on the next Tyson Fights, I'm talking all about it. From the rap battles that got it started. Open Mike, you ain't ready. Oh, really? You're cold like oh, some really? spaghetti. 
and to how I hurt myself in ways I didn't know I could. That day and the day before, I got so many texts from people who really care about me who were like, please don't break your neck. <laughs> the only place you can get the full story is on the newest episode of Tights and Fights. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. All right, I'm here with Brian Gallivan. I think I said Gallivan, but it's Gallivan. It's Gallivan, and you just said it wonderfully. Yeah. Brian Gallivan. Um, before we get into this, I have to remember the new feature of, uh, of these interviews, which is where I tell you my favorite joke oh, of the planet. And it was uh, that joke about... <laughs> Talking about Mr. Holland's opus, <laughs> yeah. and Julia says Richard Dreyfus teaches rhythm rhythm to, to Terrence, Terrence Howard. Howard. <laughs> These movies are insane. I love that joke. Oh, thank yes. you. I, I realized when you sent me the script, you'd come across, and then I had to try and find a final draft copy. I, I realized that joke came in like the last draft. Really? So uh, such a good joke. It, and the draft before it was. A not as fun version. So I'm glad you liked it. That's my favorite one. Staying up all night that last night. Really? Yeah, <laughs> sometimes you do get that last that last yeah. polish. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, um, so since we really only met at the Reed, yes. I'm going to make you do your general meeting uh, spiel, just because I'm curious about how you were an actor, I believe. Yeah. Uh, how did you get into this whole writing thing? Um, I... Well, I was a middle school teacher years ago in the Boston area and started taking improv classes. And um, those saved me from the depression of being a middle school teacher, uh, which is a wonderful job. And many people are great at it. And I was not. I lied to my class once and told them their my car was actually stolen. But I said their essays were in the car because I couldn't bear to grade <laughs> They're terrible essays. <laughs> Hi, kids. You're all doing great. They're all like 30 now. Um, and then I just really got into improv. There's a theater in Boston called Improv Asylum that's sort of modeled itself on Second City in Chicago where you do sketch and improv for really good crowds. They've developed this great theater, and I loved it. And so I took a leave of absence from teaching and then ended up moving to Chicago with hopes of performing at Second City and then... Um, Luckily, I got the chance to do that and um, was in one of their touring companies and got to go, go all over, which was amazing, and um, then joined their main stage cast uh, and did four reviews, they call them, um, which is wonderful. You perform and write your own material, you create a show, and um, I loved it. And then at a certain point, a lot of people are plucked out of there to go to SNL or at the time, Mad TV. Um, I was plucked nowhere <laughs> I was unplugged <laughs> so I just decided I'm gonna I'm gonna go to LA and um, see what happens and um, I, I had done some acting like commercials and um, just little tiny parts and things um, and so the first few years in LA were pretty rough because at Second City you perform six nights a week for like 300 people who all clap wildly at the end of the night and then you come here and Nobody cares about that. Uh, but improv sort of kept me alive and afloat out here at I.O. West and UCB and Second City. Um, just even just teaching and coaching it helped me make money. Uh, and then eventually I um, 
it did some acting, but eventually met a manager who was like, you have to write. And um, she said, send me everything you've ever written, which was like a bad, one bad pilot, which was like a um, one man show that I just put into final draft. So every page had a just very thin column of dialogue in the middle <laughs> as one person spoke. Uh, that wasn't very saleable, as they say. Uh, but then she saw these old a sketch I did at Second City called Sassy Gay Friend, which I then, um, I said, oh, I can film these as videos. She said, great, then we can have stuff. And those kind of went viral. Um, and I, I had to learn what viral was at the time. And, um, uh, and then I, she just encouraged me to just write pilots. And she's like, you're good at character and jokes, but uh, you have no idea what structure is. <laughs> so she said, read this book, Elephant Bucks. Elephant Bucks, B U C K S, huh. by Sheldon Bull, maybe? Well, don't know that. I don't know. It just sort of breaks it down into structure. any, gives you a structure, whether you agree with the structure or not. But um, And it uses like Frasier as an example. Sure. It gives you a well structured Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty great show. Uh, and so then I just finally um, wrote a, a decent pilot that got me. Um, some meetings, and then eventually my first staff writing job on Are You There, Chelsea? Okay. Which she was, briefly, mm-hmm. on NBC. Uh, it was a great experience, and then I was like, oh, I love this. I love being in a room. I like That was multicam. Um, I've done both now, and I like them both a lot. But uh, So then went to Happy Endings for there. Wrote that one into the ground. <laughs> was there for the final season. Uh, and then... Um, Ended up doing the show, The McCarthy's. That was uh, right after her. So that was the McCarthy's was the first pilot you ever sold. Yeah. And well, it, yes. Yeah. And made it on the air. Well, I guess I just, I sold one spec script uh, called Friends in Law. Um, okay, that was. And then, uh, then I pitched the McCarthy's based on my Boston sort of gay son. I'm gay, everyone. If you didn't get that, uh, the gay son in the middle of a big Irish Catholic sports family. And um, ended up doing two pilots of that. A single cam version for CBS, which they hadn't really done any single cam at that time. And then it didn't make it. And they had asked us to make it multicam. And I said, no, this is meant to be single cam. And then when it was about to be a no on that, that pilot, uh, Will Gluck, my producer, said, what if we do multicam? And they were like, great. And so you did it the next year. So the next season. year we did it as a multicam. A little earlier, like... We filmed in like early January or mid January, okay. and then that's the one that um, wow. got on the air. So that's a pretty unusual thing to get that second shot and yeah. have it. I mean, I guess it has. It's funny. I I did a multicam version of a show called Super Fun Night with Michael oh, yeah. Wilson, and that didn't go. And then, and then ABC the single did it as the single cam, so yeah. it was the opposite. And I guess I guess Big Bang Theory was multicam both times, but that was yeah. a show that they did twice and I guess right. there's more examples of that yeah um, but so that pretty interesting. Did, was there any uh, cast overlap between the single yes. cam version and was Laurie Metcalf in the single no, cam no uh, Jackie Weaver played the mom okay. in the single cam she's no. amazing Crazy. wonderful uh, and um, th- the dad Jack McGee played the dad in both um, super pop star Joey McIntyre was in both, both? as okay. a brother very funny uh 
very funny guy, very Boston. And a guy named Jimmy Dunn played his twin brother in both of them. And how big a rewrite was it changing that from single cam to multicam? Uh, I started to do a pretty big, just certain jokes. I was like, oh, that won't make an audience laugh out right. loud. Um, and so I had started to do a big one. And then um, a guy named Les Moonves, <laughs> who used to be in the biz, uh, said to the development people, like, where's that rewrite? And they said, oh, we're working on it. He's like, well, we liked the script last year. Why don't we just do that script? So then they're like, just go back to the old script, <laughs> which got us sort of the green light to go ahead and make the pilot but eventually all the changes I was going to okay. make for Multicam ended up in there okay. pretty much just right. once um, you had it up on his feet yeah. and run through yeah. those jokes that you th- it's pretty much all the jokes you thought were going to be too subtle in single cam yeah were... just sort of like we need a little uh, and I ended up working with Mike Sykowitz, uh who um, is a great TV writer and he really um, was amazingly helpful in getting that Thing ready and on the air and, and working with Lord Metcalf was I mean they were all wonderful but um, yeah. my gay posse and I in Chicago just used to talk about her almost every day before we I knew her <laughs> like just what do you think the calf's up to right. we call her <laughs> yeah she's amazing yeah. she's been on our show not to brag but yeah. she's done oh yeah, yeah no I listened to the Casey yeah, Wilson yeah, one in yeah, uh, June yeah. it was great so so good yeah okay and so now this pilot that we read you wrote after the McCarthy's. Yes. Yeah. A couple years after, um, I had, what is it called? A blind script? Deal? Yeah, sure. Still not quite sure what that is, <laughs> but I uh, had one with NBC and um, told them some stories about when I used to be, a, I taught at a Catholic school first uh, and just sort of, I just remember when I realized, oh, I wish I had thrown out the curriculum because a lot of the girls I taught there especially were troubled and right. I wish I'd just been like let's just talk about you let's make a game plan for life right but I was like you need to learn commas and <laughs> you need to read you know Sleepy Hollow or whatever was in our ancient anthology of literature so you really you know and we talked about that you, you and Ben in the interview before and it really was when you pitched this originally this idea it what was it really just sort of telling those those stories and this general idea of a teacher who decides to yeah. Throw out the curriculum and just do do yeah. The original title I think was whatever we want. Like he and his friend were like, let's just teach whatever we want, but with the goal of helping these girls. Right. Okay. So you sell it, mm-hmm. and how much? I mean, had you pitched the had you pitched Julia as part of you know that pitch? How many of the kids had you you know wh- where once you sold this idea? Where were you in terms of figuring out what you were actually going to write? I think I had the the main male teacher based on me, and then his female friend, and I didn't. I don't think I had specific girls um, because it ended up being like <laughs> when you emailed to do this, and I was very excited. I was like, "Oh, there's like all these teenage girl parts." Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I hadn't been like, "There's going to be this student and this." Stu-. I I told some stories about like there's a character Leslie who I there was a student of mine who um when we were reading like Ichabod Crane or whatever it is I'm like it's a tall thin teacher very poor uh with a large Adam's apple or something and then this girl just goes sounds familiar like and I was like I told stories about her I was just sort of a alpha girl and um but figuring out exactly the story took a little while like I think my first story doc or 
right. uh, was a little too difficult people. The Billy Eichner, uh-huh. uh, it was a little too, like, the, the male and female teacher were a little too cynical. Right. I guess um, I can see that these two are similar to the, the two leads and mm-hmm. difficult people that it could have gone that way. Yeah, which I hadn't seen at that point. Sure. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not trying to do that. Right. But. I'm not accusing you yeah, of yeah. stealing from difficult people. Right. Um, but that, so that was, so story docs for those listening is the stage of, of writing a pilot that was only introduced maybe, I think, seven, oh, really? eight years ago. Oh, I, I go back long enough to remember when you didn't have that oh. step. But it's this sort of quick synopsis of what your pilot story is going to be before you write an outline. Uh, it was, I think, introduced because they felt like, oh, writers would, would give us these outlines and we wouldn't like them and they would have to go back and um, trying to help the writer, I guess. But uh, it, it is a tricky literary form, the story yeah. document, because it's meant to be very concise. And So you, you miss out on certain things. Yeah. And they're aware of that. They often say, this may be function of oh, document. document that sentence is said every single uh, time which is nice of them to say because yeah. then you could say no i hadn't thought about that do you <laughs> do do you what i t- tend to do is sort of break figure out the story in much more detail and then just synopsize that shrink it down shrink it down is that kind of i try to actually just do the shrunken version but then it always expands mine are always too long yeah and too detailed and i include too much dialogue right because you're you're looking to write an outline which is a helpful process to you whereas the story document is not really but it's um, good it's it should i should use it to just be like this like if you're aunt asked you what's it about you could say this happens this happens this happens this you know which, you know, I'm just too nuanced for that. <laughs> um, okay, so your so your original story document for this was they were both more sort of cynical I, characters. I, that wasn't my aim, but I think that sort of came across. And I think somebody, maybe Sony, the studio I'd worked with, who were very supportive of this, had said, oh, maybe we see him more at home. And so I created sort of his, he had been raised by his grandparents and they became characters and um, they didn't, I think there'd been some school shows that had failed recently that had spent too much time at the school. So I created more field trips and, um, you know, that version could have been great and fun, but I think NBC was like, what is this? Right. If it's a um, school show, let's be at the school. Yeah. So that was a situation where the studio was sort of telling you one thing and then the network side I, was just... Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think they're, you know, the studio's goal is always to help you succeed. So it right. wasn't like they were... And I actually liked that version. It's, It, it wasn't like that. They made me create this terrible version of the show. But right. um, no, of course, it was just, just different. Yeah, right. And not, they, they sometimes predict what the network is yeah. going to look for, and sometimes they don't. We're all like just them. guessing. Yes. So you had... So once you have Chuck and Julia, and then you know you're going to have a bunch of students, and then how do you go about deciding... You know, you're saying that Leslie was based on mm-hmm. someone that, you know, are other of these students kind of based on students that you had, and how do you decide how many you need, and how do you come up with those characters? I think I... Sometimes I just cast them with prototypes, and then I say oh what would be fun for that even though they were grown actresses who would never play these so right. I, I said like a leslie jones type who's best friends with an ad bryant type and then just what i would like to see them do but there were some i didn't do that for so i don't 
I don't know. Sometimes a character, I literally will create a character to help a joke, <laughs> or like, <laughs> or I'm like, oh, this will help the main character be funny if they're bouncing off this type of person, or they get to talk about this character, and then suddenly, that character's a character. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what you do, and I, show, you know, there's a lot of these these girls in this script, and what is nice is they all have their very clear comic terrain. Oh, good. Um, and. I think, in, you know, in people listening to this, it's sometimes tricky. You're introducing, you've got this whole big group of, of women, you're only hearing voices, but I think each of them had, you know, I, I love, you know, the Mamie Gummer who played Adriana, that bit, which is just, she's in love with Chuck and just oblivious to the fact that he's gay, and then when she finds that out, just can't really accept it. It's, you that, know. That was like a small one that became bigger, like, as I kept rewriting, she got more and more and more. And if I knew Mamie Gummer was going to play the part, she would have gotten even, <laughs> even more. Yeah. She, she was wonderful. Um, and yeah, and just that, that sort of comedy duo that you have with Leslie and Crystal is just, you know, such a fun bit that, I mean, I think you're able to differentiate these characters from the get go. And of oh, course, good. in a pilot, they are going to be right. somewhat. You know they're going to get their one joke and probably hammer that right. that joke, which is the trick in a pilot. It's hard to really create a fully dimensional character yeah. right out uh, out of the gate. Um, it's when we did another school show, um, school dead pilot called Suspended, and not too long ago, people may have listened to that. In that one, they chose to sort of be in the classroom and introduce everyone all at once in this scene i'm obsessed with how people uh, introduce characters and pilots because it's so hard and what you did you kind of staggered it um where uh, you know we meet chuck and julia and then we're we meet leslie and crystal and then you know i I can't remember exactly the order and we meet gibby and sarah and you kind of parse it out and and was was there ever a, a stage of this where you tried to just like be in the classroom and meet all the girls at once? No, and mostly because when friends of mine say, "Will you read my pilot?" if they introduce too many characters at once, I get so overwhelmed. I tell them like, "Maybe space these out," and that might just be me as a reader. I also say I can't handle anyone with names with the first letter. Yes, it really. I maybe I've just lost my mind. No, you in my old age. I, it's, but. it's one of those very technical things that I've. I've learned too. Like it doesn't yeah. matter if the names sound completely different. If they have the first same first letter, you can't tell them apart. Right. It Unless means- it's like Mary Helen Elizabeth, all hyphens <laughs> is one name, and right. then like Joan is the other. Then I'm never gonna have a problem. So sometimes I have a, a yeah. trip double or triple name just to help me. But I think that is a tricky thing. I have the same thing when I'm reading a pilot, and I come I come to one of those. There's you know a, a few lines about this character yeah. and right underneath it this character and then this character and this it's it is hard to uh, yeah. to and I don't know which you know it's funny coming right the last pilot we read you know Morgan Murphy's uh, pilot you know which is the same yeah. she did it she went for it and yeah. just like here's all and, it was and, great. I, and I think it was great it's just a very right. tricky thing to just meet everyone all at once yeah um, and, and when you see it. In a show, it can work. It can work. But because, on the page, I think I'm just right. cheating. Yes. So. But that is the difference, right? I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're seeing actors who you maybe recognize, yeah. and they're bringing something to it, and you can bring in that, you can take in that information. Yeah. Um, so that was, 
a deliberate thing where you're just like, okay, I'm gonna yeah, introduce. It. Um, and then in terms of your story, the story you tell of, of Chuck and you know Mr. Meadows and you know how much of that you know where where did that story emerge and how much of that was there? Um, I think I <laughs> I never met any men through teaching. Um, actually, one substitute teacher. Um, you sh- which you shouldn't date the subs. That's just, that's probably, time's up probably on that as well. Um, but I, I thought that was an interesting, my first very bad pilot I ever wrote, I I think I mentioned this in the interview with Ben, I played a teacher, well, I in my head I was going to play and become wildly successful playing <laughs> a teacher who slept with one of the married dads of his student, was having an affair with him. So I guess this is a wild fantasy I have. <laughs> um, about sleeping with, with my students' dads, um, but I just thought mixing those two would be fun. And but it was sort of a fine line to walk because NBC's wise notes were like, "Is is this too much about his dating life? Like, is he doing this to get dates? Is he using are these girls becoming like his pimp, uh, the pimp for him? Uh, I don't know who the pimp is, but." Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? So it had to be like his intention is to help these girls and somehow it it ends up involving dating a man in front of them. Right. You know. um, and I guess maybe it's helped by the fact that he's not her actual father. Yes, her <laughs> uncle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how much thought did you give to where this would go in series? Um... You know what's interesting is because I, it was a blind script deal, I didn't have to... I think I just loosely said, you know, it'll be challenging, they're going to deal with this or that, but I didn't I didn't pitch it to, like, all the networks so I didn't work out. Like, here's a sample episode in oh, the so future. you had a blind script with a network, with, not with the studio? With... NBC, yeah, NBC. So like, it was sort of a pre-sold out. thing. So yeah. you, So you didn't have to pitch this all around and you didn't no have to just do to it them work. okay we had to just agree on what the script subject matter was going yeah. to be so you didn't have to give Flesh those it out. simp sample yeah um but it, it really of of the different pilots i've done this one doesn't it doesn't seem very challenging to think of places it could go because every week girls could be struggling with something that the teachers help them with the chuck and julia or vice versa you know, like, I mean, AP Bio was so interesting to hear about that after this, because I, I love Michael Bryan. I knew him in Chicago, and I, I loved just the logline of it. Like, he's going to use his students to get revenge on his nemesis. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's an extreme <laughs> version of, like, this. It, it's, again, throwing out the curriculum. And, and in his, I enjoy how the students really want to be learning, to be taught, right? <laughs> Which I was like, oh, they don't want to learn. Um, so that seemed like a fun spin on this. And of course, he knows nothing about Mike. Knows nothing about this script that I wrote uh, right. two or three years ago. You know? Right. Um, and tell me a little bit about how Abby and Alana from you know the Broad City Ladies. W- what was their role, and and you know how did you work with you know. Uh, sort of supervisors in that way um it was pretty interesting maybe i'll share too much here but i had made it uh, i had been with caa as an agency 
negotiated an overall deal that they negotiated for me. But then my agent switched to UTA. There was like a little migration of right. agents. So then I was with UTA, but all my money was going to CAA, if that makes any sense. Sure. So I was offering UTA nothing. <laughs> and uh, my agent said, oh, it might be good to bring some producers on to this who are from UTA, because then UTA, who will always support you, will support you even more, probably. I don't know. If that's if you think this is a bad thing to talk about, <laughs> edit, nope. edit this no, out. No, I think this um, is interesting. So... Because sometimes you get down to the line, it's between you and someone else, and you know you want as many people fighting for your project as possible. And I said, well, could it be um, female producers? Because uh, this is a very there's a lot of female characters set at a girls' school. And she said, what what about um, Abby and Alana? I said, I would love that. And so they, I think they read the outline or no maybe the story doc because uh, i'd already started and then we had a phone call and they were just lovely and so helpful and smart really smart and very busy with their own projects but they always made time to give me notes on um every step of the way and there's an r kelly moment in here where because i really did as a teacher have my catholic school st- students sing I believe I, I can believe fly. I can fly at an eighth grade graduation. I really thought I had fixed everything wrong with their lives. <laughs> Ran into one of the girls two years later. She's pregnant. You know, as a tenth grader, I was like, "Oh God, the song!" You know, so the pregnant character is sort of inspired by that less than inspiring story. But I, I had an R. Kelly joke in there and they were like do you know and I don't think I knew everything about all the horrors. Right. I knew he was bad. And then they were like, we should go a little deeper on it. Um, and, and they gave many helpful notes, not just R. Kelly notes. Um, but they were really great. And I'm, and they've also, um, it, I met with somebody who said, oh, oh, we met with them. And they were saying really nice things about you. And I was like, really? Like, because this just seems like a project we did quickly and by phone and email and um I just think they're so talented yeah. and and forward thinking in their comedy and their politics, and I um, was grateful to work with them and, and glad they had a good experience. Yeah, and it must have, I'm sure, it felt oh, this is clout behind this that's going to <laughs> yeah, make yeah. the difference, and right? You, you know, and really. But then I remember every year, like, oh, Tina Fey makes pilots that don't, that don't get, get on, on. the air. Everyone, <laughs> like, and she's amazing. Everyone makes pilots that, yeah. that don't get on. Uh, you yeah. know, it, it, it helps to have those heavy yeah. hitters, but it doesn't guarantee. No. There's just, there's no, there's no guarantees. Yeah. Um, so, I can't remember if you talked with Ben about this, but um, the, how did it happen at the, what, what happened at the end of the process? Um... I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they, I, you know, you get your final sort of round of notes and I, I, you put in your Terrence Howard joke, you put in my Terrence Howard joke. It it was sort of that whole thing of, I'm going to teach like a teacher movie. Originally when, when the car almost hits them, he says something, but Julia says, I think you're going to die alone, which is sort of mentioned and it's more about his fear of dying alone and not doing what he wants to do before he dies. And it was a little darker. And so I think it was like trying to... It, 
I remember crying at 2 a.m. in my kitchen, like, I don't get it, I don't know, I'm, I don't understand this note. Uh, and then I was like, oh, I think this is what they meant, but maybe I didn't quite get it. Mm. Um, but it also, you know, who knows? Who knows? But they are, uh, NBC was wonderful to work with and very supportive. I Luckily, that year had a pilot at ABC and got to make the pilot. Um, but I, this was so personal, and that was an adaptation of something. So I was really rooting for this one, even right. though I, I loved that other pilot I got to make. But um, this was the one that I was like, oh, I lived this. so yeah. Or parts of it. Um, and... S- now that you're, you know, you're still in this business of of, uh, of yeah. development, and um, how do you approach that? And you know, new seasons coming up, and you know, you're thinking of what are you trying to mine autobiographical uh, ideas? Yeah, I yes, I've had people say like you seem to do better with personal stuff, um, although that pilot I made the year I was talking about was an adaptation of an Austrian dramedy I believe so (laughs) but it was about belief and faith and religion and I was raised super Catholic and and don't my my belief is dwindling (laughs) if not gone Uh, but so that was personal in that way and it involves sort of caring for an elderly parent there's always something in the the work I do hopefully that has some connection to me but I'm I'm more lately I'm trying to even focus on it more like this comes from personal stuff I'm exhausted from that answer (laughs) Um, what do you think you've you've, so you've written now and sold how many pilots approximately probably like Seven or eight, maybe. And this is a very dangerously open-ended question. What do you think? Have you learned anything about, about the process? Do you feel like you approach it with, with any... With dread. With Every other, year with dread. Right. But is there any wisdom you feel like you've accumulated over that process that, that you bring into? Or is it just kind of, um, here we go again and reinventing the wheel each time? Well, I told you before we started recording that you had mentioned on the previous, I think it's the previous episode, uh, to celebrate each moment, um, each little win. Like if your story doc gets approved, have champagne. (laughs) And I think I I did that last year, sort of made a chart of like guessing, (laughs) like I will do three drafts of the story document and I'll put them in the chart. And... um, (laughs) just knowing that it's a long process and even when you get picked last year I had a pilot that got um, I got to make which is wonderful and it was a script that I'd already written so it came in as a script and I definitely rewrote it um, before it was picked up to pilot and then you know at the t- end at the end people were very happy with it the studio and the network were both happy with it it did not get on the air but Meanwhile, it changed a ton from table read to shoot night. It's a multicam. Changed so, so, so. Not, not so, so, but like the characters, the situation, but like just that story. And because of story changes, jokes change. And it, you can't, 
you just have to know it's this blob of material and you can't get married to um, bits of it or even even whole halves of the blob. Right. You just got to be ready to um, jump in. And coming from improv, I think I, I may hear the notes and go, oh my God, I'm not going to sleep for two days or something. But then I enjoy fixing. generating. I, I like fixing things. It, do you do the thing that I do where you hand something in, story document outline, and you think, maybe I, I'm going to just get no notes and they're just going <laughs> to say this is great? Do you... Yeah, I I prepare myself. When, I should never say this out loud to anyone, but if I'm, I'm often in my car. I work at coffee shops a lot, so if I have a notes call, I'll go to my car and I'll pull out my notebook and I will write you are a good person <laughs> like because <laughs> it's so easy to take it personally if the notes are not great like oh i'm a bad person so i write like you are a good person I love that. they are trying to help you um trust the process like i'll just write all these things uh so that i don't spin out and and feel the bad feelings yeah look i know a very successful screenwriter who isn't normally on anti-anxiety medication <laughs> who takes an Ativan before every notes call. Really? And I, and it's the same thing. It's yeah. very, um, it's a vulnerable position, very vulnerable. Um, yeah. and so having those kind of written affirmations, I think uh, yeah. is, I think that makes yeah, a lot of, good. a lot of sense. But having, having had the one show on the air and, and helping to run a writer's room and then having to, give notes myself on people's drafts or whatever, I'm like, oh, maybe it's easier to just get notes from someone else because giving notes to people, um, I just uh, feel bad. I feel bad that I'm the one telling them, this isn't perfect yet. Right. Which every writer just wants you to say, this is perfect. Yeah. Good job. And that's never happened. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think it's that struggle of when you're going through this process, we're both sort of in this process right now, Mm -hmm. story documents, having the combination of feelings of, I really love this story I've come up with. And at the same time, I know this will probably not be the story that I will end up telling (laughs) in the final version. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yes. And and just on this topic, a, a friend of mine sent me a short film or pilot she made filmed with another friend uh, and it was so good. It was amazing. I was so impressed because they just made it on their own. And it's like 20 minutes long, 25 minutes long. And they'd asked for feedback. So I gave like notes on little moments. Like these are nitpicky things. But, you know, if you want this to be even better here. But I was, I just loved it. But then I keep thinking about the email I sent, like, oh, did that crush them? Just these, like, <laughs> six moments weren't perfect or whatever. Um, so it's good to remember, like, someone can really like your thing, and but they're just trying to help you make it even better. Right. Uh, how did you feel about this one, hearing it out loud? Um, it was really fun. Uh, I was really nervous about it. Um of course, you want every joke to get a laugh, and you're like, that just usually can't happen, humanly, maybe. Um, 
and it was fun. Mike, who Kaczynski is my boyfriend, read Chuck. And was and, so good, um, so perfect. And it's just, I always like to see him perform. He doesn't, always, when we met, I was further up the improv chain in Chicago, and he was just getting started, so he often wouldn't let me come see him perform. So anytime he lets me um, see him perform, it's great. Because if he doesn't start letting me see him perform more, I'm going to leave him for a student's uncle or father. <laughs> Hear that, Mike? <laughs> Are you listening? Uh, well, I loved hearing it. I, I think it's just uh, such a such a great pilot. And Thank thanks you. for letting us letting us do it. Thank you. That this what you do here is is it's great. You're you're reviving <laughs> reviving dead things, which is always good. Always good. Um, Well, cool, Brian. Thanks for being here. Thank you. There you have it. That's our show for this month. Thank you, as always, to Ben Blacker and Noah Findling. Thanks to everyone at Dynasty Typewriter. Will you just, for God's sake, subscribe to this podcast? Um, Just subscribe in the Apple Podcasts app or on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Just then you won't miss an episode. Come on. While you're there, leave us a rating. that is on uh, iTunes, Apple, whatever. Also, follow us on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society. Uh, all the news about our live shows will be there. Uh, until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>